0: Well, that was awesome. You guys have done great all weekend. Thank you, band. Great job. Hey, my name's Steve. I'm the campus pastor here. So glad that you decided to worship with us this morning. You know, we say worship, and we worship in a lot of different ways. We worship through singing. Uh, In just a minute, we're going to worship as we open God's Word together, but we also worship by giving. And if you're uh, new or you're visiting Genesis this morning, it may be a little weird to you that we think it's joyful to be able to give back a little bit to God of what He gives to us, but we celebrate when we take offering here at Genesis, and so I hope that you'll celebrate with me as I invite our host team forward to take up the offering right now. And as they do that, I just want to invite you back next week. We're not done yet, I promise, but I want to invite you back next week uh, to a new series that we're starting called Asking for a Friend. You ever have one of those questions that you really, really want the answer to, but you're embarrassed to ask? Uh, Like, for instance, my girls came up with some this week. Is Baby by Justin Bieber still cool? you might say, I'm asking for a friend, right? Well, you're not really asking for a friend, you're asking for you. And there's a good chance that you've got some questions about the Bible, about God, about theology that you would love to have answered. And so over the next four weeks, starting next Sunday, we're going to answer some of those really difficult questions in this series. So I wanna invite you back for that. I hope you'll be back uh, for that. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20 is where we're going to spend the morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you somewhere. It's page 756 in this Bible is where you'll find John 20. And then we've got some kids in the room this morning. Kids, uh, clap and cheer and go crazy right now if you're a kid. Don't have very many kids in the room. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so the actual kids... um, You might pick up the kids' Bible, the kids' adventure Bible that's on the floor. It's page 1,193 in there. Yes, those Bibles are bigger because they've got more stuff in them. The adult Bible, we just can't handle all the truth that the kids can handle. That's not true. There's just pictures in it, so it's longer. 1193, John 20. You know, Easter is a time of year for a lot of traditions, isn't it? And so there's a good chance, for instance, maybe you had some traditions as a child, or maybe you still have them now. Like, for instance, how many of you got an Easter basket this morning? Raise your hand if you got an Easter basket. Yeah, good. It's a a tradition, right? Something we carry on from year to year. How about um, an Easter egg hunt? Maybe you'll go on an Easter egg hunt later. That's a tradition at Easter. And then back in the day, one of the traditions would have been an Easter parade. Maybe you get on your best dress if you're a girl, or your best suit if you're a boy, and you go and you hit up the Easter parade. Well, one of the best Easter traditions has to be the Easter family photo, right? You get everybody together all dressed up, and you get your family. Uh, and, I mean, who wouldn't want a picture of your family dressed in their Easter best, right? I mean, just imagine the joy years from now when you look back on your family photo of everybody dressed in their Easter vest. <laughs> Now, if you really want a great Easter pic, everybody should truly be dressed in their Easter best, even if mom's new hobby is sewing. (laughs) Hey, just a tip, if you are going to have your family together for an Easter photo, please check their clothes and make sure there aren't any uh, awkward stains or anything that might be on them, because you'll remember that years from now uh, when you grow up and have that picture taken. So, of course, some families think it's better not to have the family photo taken, but instead to get the Easter bunny photo. But I just want to warn you beware, live animals can be very scary, right? And so you're much better off to get the picture taken with the traditional Easter bunny. There's a lot less chance that your child will get away uh, that way, you know, escape. <laughs> now, speaking of Easter bunnies, I think this next one may be the worst the Easter bunnies ever looked. I know, right? I thought the same thing when I saw that picture. I thought, that's got to be the worst Easter bunny ever, and then I saw this one. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to have a fit up here. Um, of course, if you can't find the Easter Bunny, because he's a little bit busy this time of year, if you can't find the real Easter Bunny, feel free to make your own costume. Just use whatever you might have lying around uh, for the mask. I'll just let you linger on that one for a minute. (laughs) Hey, whatever your Easter traditions may be, we're glad that you made celebrating with Genesis Church one of them. And I just want to recognize this morning that when you come in on Easter Sunday, that we get all kinds of people coming in the room on Sunday morning. But for a lot of us, we're Christians. And Easter is a time to celebrate what God has done for us, that he sent his one and only son to come to earth to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for us. And then he was risen from the dead. And for us, that's what we celebrate. It's at the center of our faith is this one man and this one event that changed everything. And for some of us, it's even more personal than that. Like if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't be here right now. I mean, not just at church, but like we wouldn't be in the world right now that he saved us, he healed us, he rescued us. And we are thankful for everything that we have to Jesus. But I also want to say, I recognize that there's some people in the room that you're maybe not here by choice. Uh, Maybe for you, grandma said, no church, no lunch, and it's that simple. And so you're here today. And for some people in the room, maybe it's a little more painful. Like you were hurt by the church or you were hurt by Christians. Maybe you used to go to church, but then something happened and it drove you away. And if I were to call you up on stage and have you tell your story to these people, we'd all look at you and kind of nod our heads and go, yep, I get it. I understand. I know why you walked away. I probably would have done that too. And so if that's you, I just want to say, I'm so glad that you're here. And then for others of you, uh, you don't even know what you believe about God or about Jesus, but you know that people go to church on Easter and you think that there's something going on and something's happening in your heart and you have no idea where your life is going or what your future even looks like for you, but you're curious and you're seeking. Well, whoever you are, I've been praying for you this week. And here's been my prayer for you this week. I hope that today you can get a fresh look at Jesus, at who he is. I hope that you see him in a way you've never seen him before. And I hope you consider the possibilities of what your life might look like with a fresh look at God. Now, I just want to tell you, I can't promise you that every Christian will get this right. I can't promise you that every church will get this right. And I can't even promise you that Genesis Church will always get this right. Uh, we are a, a church full of imperfect people uh, led by imperfect pastors. And eventually, if you stay around long enough, I promise you we will disappoint you or frustrate you. Uh, but here's what I do know. We're making every effort to model our lives after Jesus. We're trying to model our church and our ministry after the life and ministry of Jesus. He has made all the difference in our lives. Jesus has made all the difference in my life personally. And if you let him, I promise you, he can make a big difference in your life too. And the whole foundation of our faith rests on this one man, Jesus. And at its heart is this event that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus. Because something happened. 2,000 years ago, something happened that was a complete plot twist. Nobody expected it. But 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating this real historical event, and we can still read about it today in the Bible. Now, I want to give you some background before we dive into our text today. In case you haven't been here the last few weeks, uh, Jesus has spent the last three and a half years of his life, before John 20, three and a half years or so, uh, traveling throughout parts of Israel. He's been teaching scripture. He's been performing miracles. And he's been investing in a few men and women who he hoped would take his message forward after he was gone. And in the last few days before this happens in John chapter 20, the last few days, uh, he's come into Jerusalem, which is the heart of his Jewish faith, to celebrate an event called Passover. And while he was there, he continued to teach, uh, especially in the temple, and he really infuriated some of the power brokers of the time, some of the religious leaders. And so he was arrested and beaten And crucified or hung on a cross to die, and then he was buried in a tomb. All that happened in the week before this passage we're about to read now. So we'll start there in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says this: early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now we can tell a couple of things just from this first passage. First of all, you may not have known that they celebrated daylight saving time in Israel. But you can tell that because it's spring, and early on the first day, it was still dark. And it's just like it is here now when we celebrate daylight saving Time, right? No, okay. I thought that was funny. last service like that. Um, the second thing we know is this happens just after the Sabbath. And so uh, God declared a Sabbath for the people of Israel that they were supposed to rest. They couldn't do any work. And this started Friday at sundown and lasted through Saturday at sundown. Well, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. And uh, in fact, died right before the sun went down. So they had to hurriedly kind of take his body off the cross and place it in the tomb and seal it up where it was guarded by the Roman guard. Um, But they couldn't do any work on the body on Friday night or Saturday. So early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene is returning to the tomb. Now, many believe she was returning to further prepare the body for burial. So she's surprised when she gets there and the tomb has been rolled away and there is no body, right? The body is missing. Why is she surprised? Well, she expected to find Jesus' body there. We just have to stop at this point and understand that nobody expected a resurrection. I mean, even Jesus' disciples, to whom Jesus had said, I will be turned over to the authorities, I will be killed, and then on the third day I will rise again, they didn't believe it. They didn't think it was going to happen. Which, by the way, if you're ever raised from the dead, that's a pretty cool trick. But if you predict you're going to be raised from the dead and then you're raised from the dead... Well, that's just like, that's just showing off, right? I mean, Jesus, he's just so extra. You know, so Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, Well, his body is missing. She was surprised. She expected to find the body. And as far as everybody knew, the the disciples knew, like he was crucified on Friday. His body was placed in the tomb. End of story. It would stay there. Now, to better understand uh, what happened next, we need to look at Mary Magdalene for a moment. This is a woman who was radically transformed by Jesus. If you've been here the last few weeks, you would probably say she has a My Way backstory. Mary has a My Way backstory. Uh, before Jesus, she lived an embarrassing life, a uh, psychotic sort of life that resulted in chronic, violent seizures. But then Jesus healed her. He rescued her from that. He, he set her free. And so Mary became a follower of Jesus, or what we might call a disciple. And not only did he have high hopes for her, this woman who was crazy was healed and Jesus had high hopes for her, knew that she could do great things, but she had high hopes for him too. She thought that he was the man he said he was, that he was the Messiah. And so her hopes were shattered on Friday when he was killed, he was crucified. Again, this is something nobody expected. Even though Jesus predicted it, he told people he would be turned over to the authorities and killed. Nobody really got the idea of how this was going to go down. And so just like so many other people around Jesus, Mary was devastated. If you've ever been overwhelmed by grief or disappointment, um, you can probably relate to Mary. You know, maybe you've got a Friday in your life, a day or a season where something happened and you were disappointed. Maybe it was a moment where all of your hopes and dreams were shattered. It was an unanswered prayer, a relationship that ended Somebody took advantage of you. Maybe you describe that moment as like the time that you feel like God let you down. I have to believe that's where Mary's coming from here. That that it's uh, Mary doesn't realize the same thing that we often don't realize. And that's that God can take something really bad and make it into something really good. And he's going to do that. He's going to redeem a very dark Friday for Mary. He's going to bring good from it. And what we can learn from this story is that even tragedy, even our disappointments, God can take them and turn them into something good. He's going to do that for Mary, and he can do it in your life too. And so in your life, even if it's Friday, with Jesus, Sunday is always coming. Verse 2 says this, So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, before we see what she said, two things. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples named John is the author of this account. Okay, so he was a disciple of Jesus. Now, one of the things that makes the Bible sometimes complicated, a little difficult to read is John never just calls himself me or I. He always has this weird thing where he refers to himself in the third person like a football player would, right? And so if any time that you see John write the other disciple or the one Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. And so she's running to Peter and John. I just think this is really funny that John decides, I'm going to refer to myself as the disciple Jesus loved. It's almost like he's he's showing off in front of the other disciples, like, hey, you know the one that Jesus loves, right? It's me. Yeah, that's right. It's me. So anyway, Mary sees the empty tomb. She takes off running to find Peter and John, who are probably hiding. By the way, they saw what happened to Jesus. They know his enemies are still around. His enemies know that Peter and John were with him, and so they're probably off hiding somewhere. But Mary somehow finds them. And she gets to them and what does she yell? Does she yell, he's alive, he's alive. No, here's what she says. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. See, Mary knew that Jesus had enemies, that the men who tortured and killed Jesus wouldn't have wanted his tomb to become a shrine. And so it wouldn't be below them to steal the body and desecrate it. What happened to the body? Mary assumed the worst. Because don't we always look for natural answers to supernatural questions? That's what Mary's doing here. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Now, the next few verses just describe how Peter and John get to the tomb. They, They see what Mary has said is true, and they're disappointed, and they're concerned, and they're confused, and then they go back eventually to where they were staying. But Mary, in the meantime, makes her way back to the tomb for a second time. John 20, 11 says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. You can, you can almost hear her crying. God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, and the other at the foot they asked her woman why are you crying now maybe you've had questions about angels about who they are and what they do and what they look like are they male or female we can learn a couple things from this passage we we know that they're they're dressed in white they're sitting at the head and the foot of where jesus was and we also can tell from this passage they're male how do we know that angels are men well because only a man would be dumb enough to ask woman why are you crying woman wouldn't ask that question they've taken my lord away she said and we don't know where they have put him but then mary hears something coming from behind her at this she turned around verse 14 says and saw jesus standing there but she did not realize it was jesus now we don't know why she didn't recognize jesus was it too dark did he look different after the resurrection we don't know Uh, but then jesus asked her woman why are you crying there's that question again who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. You ever have one of those slip ups where you call somebody by the wrong name? Like maybe it's with your kids. That probably happens a lot. If you have more than one kid, you call them by the wrong name. I occasionally call one of my kids uh, one of my dog's names. That's not quite as common or attractive, Um, or maybe, you know, it's your brother or sister, you call them by your friend's name or something like that, or maybe you ever have one of those slip-ups where you're talking on the phone, like, to your boss, and you say, I love you, right before you hang up, you know? No, just me? Okay. It's embarrassing, right? But years down the road, you can tell that story, ha, 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 it's funny. I wonder if 10 years from now, Mary's telling this story, and she's like, I thought he was the gardener. Can you believe it? And all the disciples are standing around going, I can't believe he didn't recognize Jesus, your Savior. I wonder if it made her laugh. I mean, these are real people, real stories. You know, they're not just things that are made up. So. But I'm sure she never forgot his next words or his next word to be exact because this changed everything for Mary. In John 20, 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, and I just want to stop right there because at this point, Mary has a question that she's got to answer for herself. She's got to decide, why is the tomb empty? You know, did somebody take the body? Is this some kind of cruel April Fool's joke? Or is he really alive? Now, she can rely on what she knows. Jesus is dead. I saw him him die. His body is gone. He had some enemies. But to really figure out what might have happened, she's got to start gathering some evidence. And so at this point in her mind, I can just see Mary doing a quick calculation. She looks around. She thinks about the angels sitting in the tomb, the stone being rolled away. This man standing there calling her name, she has a decision to make. And every one of us, every person in this room today, has to ask the same question that Mary had to ask Why is the tomb empty? For Mary, at this point, she jumps from what she knows to what she believes she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary had been looking for a dead body, but instead she found a risen savior. Suddenly, to her amazement, she's standing face to face with Jesus. He called her by his name. This same man who had rescued Mary from her past now has for her a glorious future. And she called him Rabboni, which means teacher. The one she was looking for was here. She thought he had abandoned her. She thought he had left, but here he was all along. And from that moment on, Jesus had a new assignment for her, a new message for her. Verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What we're going to see here in just a minute is Jesus was going to walk around on earth for 40 days and then go up to heaven to be with his Father. He said, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus ushered in a new relationship between God and his followers. In the Old Testament, there was this veil that was meant to separate the presence of God from his people. There was this place in the the temple called the Holy of Holies, and normal people couldn't go in there. Only the high priest, and even then, only one time per year. And there was a veil that separated that from the rest of the temple. But when Jesus died, that veil was torn, never to be repaired. The presence of God was now out in public with his people. And when Jesus was resurrected, the promise of eternal life was delivered. If Jesus can be brought back from the dead, so can anyone. And just a few weeks later, Jesus ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit in his place to live in us. Anyone who is in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The temple of God is your body. And so get this, from the Old Testament time till now, what's happened is the presence of God has moved from this stationary place in the temple to a man, Jesus, who walked among us, to the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. And Jesus ascended into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he's interceding on our behalf. Every time we pray, Jesus is sitting right next to his Father, praying for us, praying with us, and what's he doing? He's the head of the church. And he is, Revelation 21, 21, 5 says, he is busy making all things new. He is the Lord and he is making all things new so he can make anything new in our lives too. And that's what Mary Magdalene recognized. She, she went to the new disciples with this news, verse 18. I have seen the Lord and she told them that he had said these things to her. Her message was, there's not a missing body. There's a resurrected Jesus. I love that John records Mary's very own words here. Her testimony is the one on which our faith is built. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. In the first century, uh, societies uh, marginalized women. The testimony of a woman had no credibility with anyone. In fact, it couldn't even be used as evidence in the court of law. And so if you're John and you're these early Christians and you're trying to get a movement off the ground, why on earth would you use the testimony of a woman to try to start that? You wouldn't. You wouldn't especially use somebody like Mary, who was woo woo just a couple weeks ago, right? Unless that's how it really happened. Yet all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record the testimony of women concerning the resurrection of Jesus. Tell me, you, if you're going to start a movement or perpetrate a hoax... That's not the way you would do it unless that's what's happened. And so for 2,000 years, men and women and students and kids have given their life for this fact. The tomb is empty. The resurrection changes everything. It means everything for us. It means we have life and hope and purpose and direction. We have a reason to live. We have a reason to share our faith And the hope of Christ with other people. And uh, we have a life worth living on this earth. You know, it's so easy to get stuck like Mary. I think about how easily we can get stuck in a Friday world. A world full of disappointment and despair. But for those of us who are in Christ, we live in an Easter world. We, We live in an Easter Sunday world. Sunday is here and the tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the dead. And so if you came into the room this morning disappointed, it could be for any number of reasons. Maybe it's a disappointing marriage. A relationship ended or it hasn't worked out the way you thought. Maybe it's a disappointing career. You had such high hopes and nothing turned out like you expected it would. It's a disappointing health report. You're not sure what the future holds. Maybe you're disappointed in Christians or disappointed in the church. You're disappointed in God. You've prayed and asked for something and yet, You feel like he's silent. Or maybe you're a kid or a student and you come in this room and your faith has just always kind of been what your parents handed down to you, but you've got to figure out what you really believe. For so many of us, it feels like Friday. But with Christ, Sunday's coming. Jesus is here, the tomb is empty, and he's in the business of making all things new. What might a fresh look at Jesus mean for you? What would be the risk of taking another glance? Take another look down into that empty tomb and try to decide for yourself why is the tomb empty? Maybe it means spending some time with us here at Genesis Church and getting to know this resurrected Jesus. All of our hope is in Him. All of our hope. Your marriage, it can be made new in Christ. Your career, new in Christ. Uh, He can meet you in your physical pain. He can meet you in your doubts or your fear about the future. He can meet you in your relationships. You can have new friendships with Christ, a new purpose for your life, even a new identity. All things new. Other people will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. What that other person did to you, uh, even if they were a Christian, that wasn't Jesus that did that. The person who hurt you, that wasn't Jesus. The person who left, that wasn't Jesus. The person who abused you wasn't Jesus. Though you may be disappointed in the church, you may be disappointed in Christians, you may be disappointed in people, but you will never have a reason to be disappointed in Jesus. He can impact every life, every dream you've ever had, every plan you've ever made. He can lead us into a relationship with a good, good father who loves us and has a plan for our lives. It's the resurrected Jesus that modeled a a life of love and sacrifice and faithfulness that can influence anyone in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, or in the world. It's the resurrected Jesus that turns a funeral for every Christian into a celebration. But you have to decide, why is the tomb empty? I believe it's because he is risen. He has risen he has made a way and he is making all things new. Let's pray together. God, I am so thankful for that promise that in another account when the people come to the tomb, the angel says, "Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen just as he said he would." God, I'm so thankful for that. The the death, the cross is so important to our faith, but God without the resurrection It doesn't mean anything. The fact that you can make all things new, you can overcome all things in our lives. That's the promise that we celebrate on Easter. And if you're here in this room this morning and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, I still hope that you'll take a new look at Jesus, that you will see him not just as your savior, but as your Lord, as the one who is here to lead your life. And I pray in the name of Jesus for those of you who are here and you've never put your trust in him. Maybe you find yourself stuck or lost or drowning in your own past today. You can make a simple decision today and decide the tomb is empty because he's risen. And you can decide to follow him for the rest of your life. And I promise it will make all the difference in your life. Jesus, I pray that for those in this room who don't know you. They will be moved to make a decision today to continue to take a fresh look at you. God, we love you. We thank you for the promise that comes with Easter. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus.